This podcast was produced on Ghana Yerda. We respect First Nation people around Australia and acknowledge the Ghana people as the traditional custodians of the Adelaide Plains where the Festival Centre is located. We honour their spiritual relationship with their country and we do so in the spirit of reconciliation. It was an instant connection to my instrument, the Ilaki, the didgeridoo, and I wanted to be part of that mystery that my uncles and my elders presented before me. This powerful instrument that sort of resonates the landscape and all the stories within it, and it's a speaking language, you know, and so I wanted to be a part of that. Hey, it's Libby O'Donovan here. Welcome to the First 50 Podcast, a 50th anniversary celebration of the Adelaide Festival Centre, the home of performing arts in South Australia. This magical venue, which I have had the delight of performing in over the last 25 years, has housed many historical moments and thousands of incredible artists. Today, I am talking to someone who has played on some of the most astounding stages of the world. I'm talking places like the Vatican, Westminster Abbey, the Royal Court of Spain and the opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympics. As we looked out onto the Reconciliation Plaza of the Adelaide Festival Centre, I was humbled to talk with such an accomplished artist whose music transcends thousands of years of culture and storytelling and continues to connect with new audiences across the globe. You are sure to be fascinated by the story of the 2023 Queensland Australian of the Year and First Nations composer William Barton, whose compositions on the Yidaki, otherwise known as the didgeridoo, have made such an impact on the world. I spoke to William about his relationship to music, culture and performance and how the Festival Centre has played a part in his legacy so far. How exciting being here with William Barton on Ghana land at the Adelaide Festival Centre where you played last night at the Reconciliation Action Plan launch for this festival centre. And to go back to where you grew up, you grew up on Kalkadunga country, Mount Isa, and you have had such a connection to it and still do have a connection to it. What was it like growing up there in the 80s? Look, semi-arid desert country, the, I call it the beauty of the Argila and Selwyn Ranges, you know. That magic of the, of the sky is something that I remember, the morning sky and the evening sky, uh, the deep hues and reds and blues and stuff, you know, in wintertime especially. It's a place where I draw my inspiration from and, you know, as a part of that process as a composer, I always acknowledge that that's where my heart is from, you know. And so that comes through the DNA of the music. And so when you have that true heart of intention, when you travel, you know, you want to make sure that you do things culturally appropriate as well. And so you connect with the local mob and you're sharing songs or feelings that are thousands of years old, you know. And so uh, you've got to do that in the right way. You know, that's why I say there's the ceremony on the outside of this building here, the Adelaide Festival Centre, but also on the inside where we've got to bring that intention on the inside and, and make it culturally appropriate. When you were growing up, you started playing the didgeridoo very young, I think I read that you were seven when you started playing. What did that feel like to first start playing and was it an instant connection to the instrument? It, it was an instant connection to my instrument, the ilaki, the didgeridoo, and I wanted to be part of that mystery that my uncles and my elders presented before me. This powerful instrument that sort of resonates 
the landscape and all the stories within it and it's a speaking language you know and so I wanted to be a part of that and as a young kid that humbug kid that wags school you know to hang around with his uncles here I am some 30 odd years later standing before you you know sitting before you. Good decisions when you were seven. <laughs> yeah. And what were the other kids doing? I mean, siblings, cousins, other kids that you were hanging out with, were they also starting to look at playing instruments at that age or were you that one musical kid? Oh, look, there's always a few of us in the family. Like my brother played guitar but he's a really great uh, visual artist, Robert Barton, mm. and my other brother Lindsay, you know, who works uh, in, in government and universities, you know, so we all got a bit of a mixed bag of talent in the family. But, you know, that talent comes from mum. You know, mum used to listen to Mario Alonso and the Great Crusoe growing up in Springshaw, central Queensland, from her mob, Bidra. And so mum planted that seed of the, the classical music into, into my world. And so I was very much driven to discovery and exploration and creation. And then as you get older, you realise, oh, it's, it is a part of – all you are is a part of this, not all you are, but you're a part of a legacy. You're a part of this long, linear landscape, you know, and you've got to acknowledge that because that's where the, that power comes from, you know, and the inspiration comes from. And you mentioned your mum. She's an amazing singer, an incredible vocalist and such an integral part of lots of the collaborative work that you've done, you've done with her. How is that performing with your mother on stage and creating music together? rising beyond ancient tree dancing waters delve in moonlight shadows it's really special to perform with mum and still have that honor you know with her to this day and even in when mum's not present with in the space you know like we recite mum's we as meaning uh my partner Veronique Soray with our project called Heartland you know, we recite mum's wor uh, words throughout the project and mum's a prolific writer. I remember attending naturalisation ceremonies as a young kid, you know, in Mount Isa and mum would do the welcome and do a, uh, a welcome poem for the new Australians. You know, so there's a long history of working with mum and having toured overseas, what some of the highlights with, with mum, mum being in the Vatican for Mary MacKillop's canonisation back in, I think, the early 2000s, sort of mid-2000s, you know, mum creating this beautiful poem with my piece called Birdsong at Dusk. So I had a few special moments and memories are always there. An unlikely duo are blending the ancient and modern sounds of Australia. The pair's latest collaboration, Heartland, brings together melodies from two very different worlds, combining ancient songlines, contemporary poetry and powerhouse strings. It sounds so wonderful to be able to create that kind of music and also that kind of uh, community with people who are so close to you. And you seem to do a lot of that as you travel all over the world, creating communities of sound and communities on the stage and within the audiences there. You've performed all over the world. You started touring professionally at such a young age and travelling around and being part of orchestras and huge events at such a young age. What led you to those big moments straight away? Look, um, yeah, of course you don't go from zero to 100 or more, you know, overnight. So community events, you know, I just did what I did, you know, and, and I loved like wanting to learn, 
what was so important and what I was getting good at was the do you do, you know, and so that was my, my vehicle, that, that was my language, that was my, my go-to place, you know, and so my first overseas trip wasn't with an orchestra, wasn't with a rock band, it was with my brothers from, from Nara, um, even though from different mob, from Nara, from the Dunooch, uh, Dunooch dancers, and we all toured, I think I was the youngest at 15, we toured the USA, Canada and Hawaii. I had my 16th birthday in Edmonton, Alberta. But the first performance was at a youth detention centre in Boston, Massachusetts. And I still remember to this day, just because of the specialness of it, you know, these lads in, in USA in a youth detention centre seeing an Aboriginal dance group from a foreign land, you know. I hope that they think of that sometimes, thinking, oh man, we had these Aboriginal dancers, you know. But the funny story of it is um, we didn't realise that they had arrived a few days earlier, but the gig went ahead still but we wanted audience participation. So we're all painted up in our spirit, with our spears and boomerangs and didgeridoos. And we get the audience participation and the, well, the guards are starting to get a bit stressy, but it was all good, you know. They got up there, did the kangaroo dance and everything and, you know, special memories, you know. Yeah. And then in amongst all that, the universe was sort of brewing up this other, other path for me as well, which was, you know, wanting in my own thoughts, like I wanted to know what the language of the bass player or the drummer, the percussionist or the other instrumentalists were thinking when they played music. So the language, so the language, the use of the word language and, and its meaning for me, you know, is, is special because that's how I communicate, you know, and that's what I've learned or I've learned a part of the legacy that my elders have given me. started playing at seven was there a moment when you thought this is actually what I want to do forever yeah the, the moment of when and what I'm doing it sort of it grew organically and so things you know happen in, in chapters and happen in clusters and so I guess there's a feeling you know there's something that I wanted to do as a young kid a young teenager and had the drive and so I guess that that was evident you know, when I, I had the drive to leave school, had the drive to tour overseas, it was all happening then. And even if I didn't sort of recognise it in, in, the, in the moment, because I was loving what I was doing, you know, that was not the chore of it, you know. The chore of it is to learn the art properly, to, to express yourself properly. But even then, you know, it's exciting to, you know, set up my studio now as a 41-year-old and like, oh, I've got my piano there now, I've got my guitars, I've got my do so I can practice at midnight or eight hours or whatever, you know, and again, talking about that conversation earlier, like where I revamp my skills, you know, I just want to keep it, keep it fresh as much as possible, you know, so it's about creation. So if I don't know how to play something, I'll teach myself or, or ask my, my peers, hey, how do you do this? Or how do you write this down? You know, yeah. Keeping it fresh, constantly creating and constantly creative input. Yeah, yeah. And not being, you know, obviously having some a strong foundation to go from always, yeah. but you know, walking along the way of others. William has created some incredibly unique and vivid sounds while translating the timbre of his instrument to entirely new genres of music. With skillful mastery, William takes the emotive language of the Yadaki and weaves it together with the manuscripts of classical music. As he sees it, he wants to take the oldest culture in the world and blend it with Europe's rich musical legacy. It's not hard to see why William is considered a master of his craft. 
I don't think people really recognise that the didgeridoo has got many keys that you can play in. When you're composing a piece or you're working with an orchestra where keys, especially westernised keys, are so important, how do you discover what key you want to compose your piece in? Yeah, so the way I look at it is, um, this is my, my reference to it, um, you know, when my elders used to make the didgeridoos many years ago, they cut them out a certain length um, and depending on the, the tree as well in the local area. And so the didgeridoos in Kalkadunga country range from, say, uh, C or B, B flat to, uh, to E and F, mm-hmm. you know, mid-range of, of the piano. Um, but where you go to other country, you know, other mobs country, that did you do that Yadaki might be F to G sharp, you know, and that's the higher range. So the good reference there is like the did you do's they use in Yothi Indy, the band, bell bottom did you do's, they're generally, you know, E to F sharps, G, G sharps rather. And yeah, Kalkadunga country, C, you know, B, the E. So you do you play didgeridoos from all over Australia? Yeah. All different keys. I play didgeridoos from my friends. Like if I'm travelling and I need to borrow a didgeridoo, I'm like, oh, yeah. have you got that D didgeridoo there? You know, <laughs> even when I come to Adelaide sometimes, I call up my brother Jamie Goldsmith and, and have a yarn. Like, oh, I need that. I want to borrow that E. Is that okay? You know, but if I wanted to adjust the, the didgeridoo key, I'd get a, a length of tubing and I put it on the end and I can pitch bend. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favourite particular type of wood that you prefer playing through? I want to say dead wood, but it's a bit too dry for this time of day. So Mount Isa country, we've got Coolabar, blood, Bloodwood, Snappy Gum. So I grew up on playing my uncle's Did You Do, which is a big C sharp, beautiful old ochre colours, you know, from the land. And so, um, yeah, Coolabar and Bloodwood. I mean, stringy bark, yeah. Sometimes PVC pipe if I need to, but yeah, I'm a traditionalist, yes. If you're touring and travelling around and you've got your instruments, but suddenly you need a different key, what do you do? Oh, look, you, you do as any touring musician would and go to the equivalent of Bunnings or Minor 10 <laughs> and get some PVC pipe, get a hacksaw. Uh, one such story is uh, a real one from China when I was there for Shanghai World Expo and went to uh, their equivalent of Bunnings and had to try to act out, what's that game where you act out the things? Charades. <laughs> Charades with PVC pipe and a hacksaw. Anyway, I, I gave them a little tune on the instrument at the end. Once I turned it into the, the key that I needed, yeah. Oh, they would have loved that. <laughs> and you know, other things like a toilet paper roll is one musical tone, obviously a clean one. Yes. And I, I gaff tape the inside and, and then I, if I need to make it sharp or flat, Either way, I'll, I'll, I'll cut it or um, I can use my wind pressure as well to lip up and lip down on the instrument. And so the did you do, like any musical instrument, has all the notes so I can go flat and sharp by my wind pressure and um, you can get the different octaves as well. And so I've got a particular did you do that's it's in the key of A, so I, I guess it'll be maybe A1 on the piano. It's difficult to get one that's short though, because it's quite long. It's difficult to get an A that's short and at, at octave A1 sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. And when you're, when you're vocalising as well as breathing through and creating a tone, do you get the dual tone? You can get two tones at once, three tones at once? Yeah, I, I feel you can, you can get multiple, mo, mo, multiple tonalities on a phrase that sort of journeys through different um, frequencies, you know, so you get that filter-like effect. 
when you're playing did you do you sort of normally tune into the pitch of it and so you'll harmonize or hum the same note that you do to give it more more oomph and so you know you can experiment experiment by going an octave higher or lower to get that sort of fluctuating sort of uh you know cool uh synth sound yeah yeah absolutely that that cool synth sound it does it, it's otherworldly in a way it does create this sound that no other instrument in the world can possibly create and it's all from one person's body <laughs> yeah you and you and the instrument are one you yeah. know and it resonates and so you'll find as of any instrument you know you'll find uh um, an instrument that resonates with you in a certain way, so it makes you play a certain way. Say with the guitar, like you're saying with a, a, a handbrush or pen, you know, there's a certain weight to it that gives you oh, yeah, a bit more free flowing. You know, want to play jazz or want to write jazz or something, you know, yeah. And the tonguing you use, obviously, there's so much rhythmic elements to it that you use tonguing your lips, your fingernails, your your breath. It's all combining to create such a rhythmic feel. Yeah, so there's multiple elements. I, I like to say multiple elements of the landscape. So there's technique yes. that you got to learn, but then the technique is about how do you express that technique into expression or storytelling. That's where you, you hone in on your skill because to become very familiar with your instrument is so important. To know the language of your instrument or your voice is so important because then it gives you a better understanding of how to communicate what you want to. Yes, you can be the best technical player in the world on any instrument and not move anyone, but to have that extra sense of musicality, which is, I guess, a connection, as you're saying, to the story you're telling through your music, then you start touching people. Yes, because the technique has to be placed to make sense. Why are you doing that fancy, fast lick or whatever, exactly. you, know, you know? Absolutely. This ability to tell stories and connect with others through his masterful playing has meant that William has graced the stages of the Adelaide Festival Centre many times. I'm so interested to know what his impressions are of the spaces here. Even a space like this, the Adelaide Festival Centre, you were saying that you've performed outside of it and inside of it. It's all part of this one great area here along the Torrens River that does have this cultural and artistic sort of energy to it. I've lost count of how many times I've actually performed here and the associations I've had with uh, various acts over the years. But I, I see the Adelaide Festival Centre as, a, as a, the cultural precinct, the cultural hub for Adelaide arts and culture. And so everything that happens on the inside here, you know, is a sort of a reflection of what I think we as a nation want to see on the outside. You know, it's ceremony, it's acknowledgement of country, acknowledgement of our First Nations, amazing artists, but also our elders and what they bring to the space. You know, it's always about ceremony to have the right intention, you know, to work together across different cultural backgrounds, but also that opens up that conversation musically and, and through other various art forms as well. So, you know, it's, it's a special place for me in South Australia. Yeah, and you've seen lots of performances here as well. You're talking about seeing dance with the Bangara Dance Company and also performing with the Black Arm Band and Australian String Quartet. You've had such a broad range of artists that you've performed with. 
is something about collaborating that sit with you so well? You love to collaborate with other people and to have almost a conversation of influences between you and them? Yeah, from early on in my career, I sort of, I always love to collaborate, but, you know, the meaning of collaboration for me also is its sustainability as well. And so having a collaborative works of other artists or other composers or other groups, that creates a sustainability of connection and also it makes you a better musician and a better human being as well because, you know, you want to lift your game and, and there's certain benchmarks that you want to aim for, you know, and so if you aim for that, you know, to work with other great artists um, where they bring their story and their journey to such a space as the Adelaide Festival Centre, you know, I think you're onto a great thing. Yeah, incredible. I mean, you would be considered the best player, I would say, in the world. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's just, there's so much scope that you have when you play, the rhythmic styles, the different sounds that you get through your voice, through the instrument, the way that you're tapping or creating rhythms with your hand. Do you constantly practice and learn as you play or are you always sort of going back to your original lessons? Look, I always go back to my original lessons where I put in that crazy time where like all day, every day sort of thing where you get your chops up, you know, from blowing the did you do in a bucket of water to filling up a wee bin full of water, strengthening up the lung capacity and, and getting your chops up to pace where you don't get the burn anymore, that sort of thing. So, you know... Every now and again, though, I revamp my skills and I'll do that session in the river or the bucket of water or the uh, big wheelie bin, you know, and that just keeps your chops up, you know, because you've got to be uh, uh, continually improving, you know. So I'm at the level where, yeah, I can, can play and play and play without practicing certain things. But, yeah, it's good to, you know, revamp. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, get pulling out the guitar and putting an eight-hour session. Oh, yeah, cool. Now I can get my get my fancy Stevie Bylicks back in, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. With your performing, you've performed with orchestras, you've performed with quartets, you've performed solo yourself with guitar, voice and the didgeridoo and you've performed on huge stages, small stages. Do you have a favourite sort of setting for your performances? I like to say straight up like the intimacy of in the Western world, like the classical string quartet. that sort of vibe because it tells a story you know you're blending you know some of the the world's oldest culture and the sound of the oldest you know instrument in the world that did you do the yadaki um with that of you know sort of western instruments but that are old as well and have their own cultural history you know and that because those instruments have been made by you know luthiers who've who've learned from their father or their uncles or their um you know these um people luthier lines you know of, of culture and so mixed with that and the experience of the players you know it's a very intimate setting and and that intimacy comes across through the music to the audience you know but then you get the next level and yeah you have the full symphony orchestra as well and so i sort of try to fit myself somewhere in between where if i can use utilize the intimacy and i guess the sonic force of of both aspects you know you can be a voice with the engine room of change we were so honored to work with a composer and musician of william barton's caliber he's a legend in the australian music industry 
So there's this beautiful character from Mount Isa. He's an extraordinary individual. I love how they're so energetic on stage. They're a family, and you know, um, I'm a part of that family. But there's something about his voice which is really come hither. You really have to stay and listen to him. And you love all sorts of different music you've played with jazz musicians, classical musicians, um, obviously solo on your own. Do you have a favourite genre that you like to play? I feel I want to say it's a fusion of like jazz and I guess neoclassicalism and everything in between, you know. So stuff that is like very earthy but it gives a feeling. And so that's sort of present in like you know, songs as well, some some hit songs like from Australia, like, you know, Shane Howard, Gwanda Band, Solid Rock, Ivy Davies, Great Southern Land, you know, Midnight All. So some of their iconic songs are in certain keys. Even Peter Sculthorpe's Earth Cry is in A, the middle section, beginning is in C sharp. Ivor's uh, Great Southern Land is sort of like roughly around about B flat, then it goes to sort of C sharp, and then Shane Howard, Solid Rock is, the middle section is in A, you know. Yeah. These guys, close friends, you know, they wrote these hit songs just over 40 years ago to the day at our special rock, you know, at Uluru. And that's the feeling of the earth and that's the feeling of our ancestors, you know. So, it is, you know, people are in tune with, with, our, with the surroundings, you know. Yes, and you are too. How do you get a sense of home? Uh, you've talked about that home for you is Kalkadunga land around Mount Isa in Western Queensland. How do you get that sense of home when you're travelling so much? How do you tap into that? Look, like even if you, when you're asking that question now, like I'm thinking of when I stayed at the Aunty Peggy Glenville Hicks house in Sydney in 2020, on the piano there, I had a um, book with Uncle Archie up there and Mum and Emu Feathers, you know, Emu Feathers that were given to me as a gift from someone from Adelaide actually, because they knew that like the emu uh, footprint was our territorial sign. But as I was respecting my friend, he gave me these emu feathers so that I can hold that spirit with me, you know? And so it is about taking those sort of little symbolic things with you sometimes and whether they're present with you in the physical form or um, in your head, that's, you know, what I think about. When I'm on stage performing for an orchestra in Carnegie Hall, for example, actually happened to be at the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra all those years ago, performing Kalkadunga song. You know, I acknowledge my Kalkadunga song with me. And so that was special, you know. So reflecting on one of the, the earlier conversations when I was talking about mum, and we're at this waterhole, we travelled to our natural amphitheatres of the Australian landscape, which that was, this place with mum, and then going to one of the world's most famous concert halls, you know, Carnegie Hall, but singing Kalkadunga song and saying with at Westminster Abbey when I met the Queen 2019, it was special because in my solo, I call it Spirit of Kalkadunga and there was a meaning b behind this. I wanted the BBC radio broadcaster and the TV broadcaster to actually say a language word on online, you know. The Australian musician William Barton will now play a self-composed piece Kalkadungu's journey. And it's about saying the language of the people in the present, in the moment. Yes, incredible. You have performed Carnegie Hall, Westminster Abbey. You've performed all over the world. You're speaking about China before. Have you got a favourite 
place or that you've performed where you just think, I can't believe I'm here performing here. This is something I've dreamt of. Yeah, look, there, there's been a few of those, you know, pinch me moments. Wow, here I am, this Mount Isa boy, you know, performing in Carnegie Hall or on top of the Q1 for the Commonwealth Games or, you know, for the T20 on top of the MCG, you know, in a harness. Through the other special ones, which are the 90th anniversary, 90th, 99th and 100th anniversary of Gallipoli in the Anzac Cove in Turkey, mm. you know, representing Australia and our Indigenous fallen soldiers as well, you know, and who have returned. And for all, all the nations of Australia who, who went to that war, to being in the Pompidou Centre with mum, you know, performing, you know, with my mum, Auntie Dama Barton, you know, so I like to see that they're all of the same spirit you know, because they have to be, you know, that's what keeps you going. Because you see the strength in the music and the strength in the language of what we're acknowledging. Again, the landscape, you know, and, and the language of the people. And, you know, we want to continue to, to share that message. The strength of William's musical legacy so far has seen him performing consistently across the globe over many years. I want to know, what role can cultural institutions like the Adelaide Festival Centre play in continuing to share this important work? We're here in the Adelaide Festival Centre and you've performed here many times before and visited here, seen lots of shows here. This building has been here for 50 years and obviously thousands of performances have happened here throughout that time. I was wondering, how do you see it in the next 50 years? What is your hope for venues like this? I hope that they're still around with a great deal of cultural intention for, for the local mob and that when foreigners from other landscapes come here, they can feel proud that they can learn a little bit of the language from the local mob here and they can see that this is a place of gathering along the river. and. If there needs to be healing done, that, that we're well and truly into that healing process mm. and, and just come back to the, the very basics of what a facility, you know, in a Western world like this is for, and that's for arts and music mm. and for it to always be culturally representing the people and the nation in the most appropriate way. Beautiful. How would you describe the Adelaide Festival Centre in three words? Now, then and future encompassing ideals of the past to invigorate and be socially acceptable and culturally appropriate for our local mob here and to constantly reinvigorating the, the, the cultural community of, of Adelaide through the Adelaide Festival Centre and how this is like a, a cultural hub for the future as well. And so as long as the intention's right, we're gonna keep on going in the right direction so it's about communication as well and, and, and coming back to the basics, which is allowing the free flow of whatever art form people want to do in this space. Beautiful response. Do you have any favourite Adelaide destination? What's your favourite thing to do here in Adelaide? Oh, what's my favourite thing to do in Adelaide? Actually walking and a few of the restaurants are pretty good around here. I love going up to the markets and going crazy on the seafood and, you know, getting some kangaroo meat getting it vacuum sealed and taking taking the, the back saddle of the <laughs> kangaroo back back home and cooking the, that up. And, of course, connecting with my brothers here, you know, and family. 
yeah, you know, it's special to always stay in touch with them and because they're also so busy doing their cultural work as well. So it's important that I keep in touch with them, you know, because it's their land, you know. Yeah. And the Adelaide Festival Centre is 50 years old. Do you have a vision of what's next for you in your next 50? <laughs> I, I personally, you know, want to be doing what I'm still doing, you know, and continuing on that connection with people through my art and through my music with, with that of others and just sharing that legacy and that space and the successes of, you know, my other friends and family who are out on the touring circuit, you know, doing the thing, playing their part, playing their part for the betterment of, of humanity. Now for something really special to close the show, a live performance from Queensland's Australian of the Year and renowned Yidaki player, William Barton. Please welcome to the stage, William Barton. Well, you're an incredible musician, incredible player, fabulous man, brilliant uh, obviously didgeridoo player as well, great vocalist, composer and teacher. It's been a real honour to speak with you today. I think as many people that there are that have heard you play, they that is that many interpretations of your work and that's a beautiful thing to think that there are millions of different interpretations of your work carried with people who have been blessed enough to hear you. It's a beautiful legacy that you're leaving and thank you so much. Thank you. It's a great honour to be a part of the Adelaide Festival Centre. You may have heard William Barton perform before or you may not have had the opportunity yet, but we were fortunate enough to enjoy the experience of hearing William playing the Yadaki in the Adelaide Festival Centre. Thank you.
Absolutely incredible, William. A real honour and privilege to hear you today. Thank you so much. It was so special to talk to William Barton and hear of his inspirational career and connection to Kalkadunga country through his music. The Adelaide Festival Centre has served as one of many spaces where William has been able to share his storytelling with audiences by adding new depth and meaning across many genres of music. I'm so excited to speak to more brilliant performers and artists as they make their way through these halls. You won't want to miss our future episodes, so make sure to get subscribed so you can be notified when they come out. If you enjoyed this audio experience, rate the podcast and share it with your friends and family so we can all enjoy the rich cultural experiences South Australia has to offer. In the meantime, if you need an entertainment fix, why not see a show? You can find out what fantastic performances are currently showing on the Adelaide Festival Centre website and social media. Search Adelaide Festival Centre or follow the links in the episode description. I'm Libby O'Donovan and you're listening to The First 50 Podcast, produced by Solstice Podcasting.